Well, I want to say good morning to those of you who are watching online and those of you who are here, here in the room. And as you know, we're starting a four-week series today. And I, I want to begin by prefacing something. If you think you're coming to hear what I'm against or what God's against, that's not really what the series is about. You see, God is a positive God. He's not a negative God. And what you're going to learn in the next four weeks is that God is for sexual purity. And God is for marriage between a man and a woman. And God is for life, whether it's in the womb or out of the womb. And God is for the person he made you to be at birth. So as we begin this series, I want to invite you, if you don't already do this, you can go get your cell phone and go to an app. It's called crosspointchurch.com slash app, and all the sermon notes are right there. So you can get on your phone right now, go to that app, fill in the blank, and you'll have it. And the reason I'd encourage you to do it, and I normally don't, is because these are probably things we'll talk about the next four weeks you want to keep, you know, permanently. These are things you want to share with your kids, with your grandkids. So we're in this series, and so again, I invite those of you who are watching online to kind of hang in there with us. Many years ago, newspapers reported this prayer by the chaplain of the Kansas Senate. It's a prayer that needs to be heard today, I think probably more than ever before. This is what he prayed. Omniscient Father, help us to know who's telling the truth. One side tells us one thing and the other just the opposite. If neither side's telling the truth, we'd like to know that too. If each side's telling half the truth, gives us the wisdom to put the right halves together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's the way I feel. So we're in a series that we're calling Facing the Truth, and it's uh, not for the faint of heart. We're going to deal with the hottest button issues in both the culture and the church today, and the series is incredibly urgent to me, not only because of what's going on in the culture and what's going on in the country, but frankly, what's going on in the church and where churches are headed today. In this series, let's be honest, uh, let me get the elephant out of the room. Facing the Truth is not always popular. Sometimes we don't like truth. It's sometimes fain, painful. And as a matter of fact, there are even some people today that will say that what we're going to do the next four weeks is poisonous, that it should almost be outlawed, that people should just tune out and turn out. And particularly if you buy into the culture of political correctness, this is not what you want to hear. One of my favorite authors and pastors is Mark Batterson. And he said something that was so profound and so wise, I want to quote it in its entirety. So just watch the screen and just listen to what he said. He said, when political correctness becomes the golden rule, speaking truth becomes bigotry. Truth is crucified in the name of tolerance, undermining civil debate, conscientious objection, and religious conviction. We live in a culture where it's wrong to say something is wrong, and I think that's wrong. Remaining silent on a subject that God has spoken about isn't loving, it's cowardly. When we fail to use our voice, we lose our voice. We as the church should be more known more for what we are for than what we are against. Totally agree with that. But playing the man requires standing up for what you believe in even if you're standing alone. So this is what I hope we all can agree on. No matter where you may be on the political spectrum, the philosophical spectrum, the spiritual spectrum, the social spectrum, no matter where you may be coming from, I hope we could agree on this. I hope we would agree that the, that, that the goal of what we ought to be talking about both inside and outside the church 
is really nothing, has nothing to do with political correctness. It's about truth. And the reason for that is because Jesus made a statement about truth that totally changed my view about truth. He said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Well, free from what? Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Jesus said two things in that one statement. He said, number one, it's important that we know the truth. Because if you don't know the truth, you're going to live a lie. If you don't know the truth, you're going to be in bondage. You're going to be in slavery to error and to deceit and to what's wrong. So today we're going to start our series talking about probably the most ignored, the most under the rug, the least discussed sin in the church. And it's described perfectly by a story some of you are going to remember. In early 2019, the internet went crazy over the news that Chris Pratt, the actor, many of you know who Chris Pratt is, the actor, and his fiancee, Katherine Schwarzenegger, were moving in together. Now that in and of itself was not a big deal, but here was what was interesting. The media noted that because they both claimed to be evangelical Christians, they were not going to move in together until they were engaged. Not married, but engaged. And the interesting thing is that nobody even raised the questions whether or not there was any contradiction between Pratt's cohabitation and yet still calling him a devout Christian, a folksly a popular evangelical who urged people to continue, continue living boldly in the faith. They didn't even think that was a contradiction. They thought, now isn't that really cool that two people are going to wait to move in until they're engaged. So what our grandparents used to refer to as shacking up and what we now refer to as hooking up, the Bible has a different phrase for that. The Bible calls that sexual immorality. That's what the Bible says. That's what God's word says. You can call it, you can put any euphemism you want to on it. But the Bible is very plain. As a matter of fact, in a letter that a man named Paul wrote, I'm going to invite you to turn to it. He wrote it to a church in a place called Thessalonica. So if you've got a New Testament, turn to 1 Thessalonians. Not too hard to find. If, if you just go to Matthew and turn right, you'll hit it, all right? Go to Matthew, turn right. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul had some very clear, very pointed, very strong words to say about this practice. Now, I want to say one other thing because I get it. If there's anything today that's just uncool, that people would say is just unrealistic, that people would say, you've got to be kidding me. We're living in 2023, and you're actually going to ask students, teenagers, young adults to actually practice what we would call sexual purity. I mean, there are people that say, you've already lost me. I I'm already checked out because here's what we're hearing said today about sex and having sex. Number one, if it is consensual, that is both parties agree to it and both parties want it, that makes it right. And number two, if it brings you pleasure and it makes you happy, frankly, it's just nobody else's business. It's none of your concern who we sleep with, when we sleep with them, where we sleep with them. It's okay. So today, what we talk about today is not committed sex. What we talk about today is what we call casual sex. And so you see it all the time, right? 
you um, look up, you hook up, you shack up, and then you're going to say most of the time you break up. And we do it all the time, and we don't even really consider it. We don't even think about it. So it may not surprise you to know that since 1960, the rate of marriage has been declining steadily, and we're now in what's best described as a low-commitment culture of sex without strings and relationship without rings. So since the start of the 21st century, listen to this. The U.S. marriage rate has declined from more than eight marriages per 1,000 down to six marriages per 1,000 in 2019. That is the lowest marriage rate. That is the lowest level of people being married and getting married since government started taking this, started keeping these statistics in 1939. So in other words, we have fewer people getting married than we've ever had in the past 80 Three, let me go back. Yeah, since in, in 83 years. As a matter of fact, the marriage rate is the lowest level since we've been keeping marriage records. Listen to this in 1867. So if you do the math, that's what? 200 and what? 60, 50, 60 years almost? So in, in, in almost 200, notice it'd be about um, 160 years. Almost 160 years, we've never had fewer people getting married in the history of this country. So it shouldn't be surprising that over 75% of people who don't attend church and almost 53% of people who do attend church have already had sex by the time they're 18 years of age. Now get that in your mind. Three out of four people who don't go to church have already had sex by the age of 18. Five out of 10, over five out of 10 who do attend church have had sex before the age of 18. So as we look at this text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I just want you to keep one thing in mind and then we're going to get off to the races. Number one, the sex drive is God-given. I want to make this plain to those of you who are young and those of you who are dating, those of you who are thinking about getting married, there's nothing wrong with sex, nothing dirty about sex. Sex is a wonderful thing. It is a God-given pleasure. But just as it is God-given, it ought to be God-guided because God gave it to us. And so from the very beginning with the first two people that ever had sexual relations, God had a plan, God had a place, and God had a purpose for sex. And what you're going to find is sex is best when that plan is followed and that purpose is fulfilled. So I'm going to give you a sermon, my sermon in a sentence that will kind of help you to remember what we're going to say today. It is God's will that you don't say, I will, until you say, I do. Not hard to remember. It is God's will that you don't say, I will, until you say, I do. You say, that sounds so strict. It sounds so puritanical. It sounds so just out of step with society. I get all of that, but if you will believe one thing I'm about to tell you, it will make perfect sense. God not only wants what is best for you, God wants it when it's best for you. And God wants it where it is best for you. And when you finally get what he wants, it will be the best that it can be. So what you're going to learn today, and I'm going to back it up statistically, what you're going to learn today is that sexual pleasure is not minimized. It is maximized when you practice sexual purity. So I want you to write down, take down three things that we're going to learn today right out of God's Word. It's not what I'm saying, it's what the Creator said. Number one, sexual purity is God's will for us. Sexual purity 
is God's will for us. Now, normally, I never try to tell somebody what God's will is. You know, so I have people come, what do you think the will of God is for my life? Well, if it's a moral, you know, situation, no problem. But other than that, I'm not one to say, well, I think you ought to do this or go here or take that job or whatever. I don't do that. But this is one of those times where I can say without hesitation or equivocation, I know exactly what God's will is for your sexual life. First Thessalonians 4, verse 3. It is God's will. So this is what God, this is what God says. This is my will. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? He tells us that you should avoid sexual immorality. So now Paul just right off the beat, he just cuts to the chase. He doesn't kind of mince words. He just gets right to the point. He says, look, there's a difference between godly desires and ungodly desires when it comes to sex. You say, well, what's the difference? Godly sexual desires will always end up in marriage. Ungodly sexual desires will always end up outside of marriage. So God says, this is my will for your life, that you avoid sexual immorality. By the way, the Greek word there for sexual immorality is the word pornea. We get the word pornography from that. And that word refers very simply, the word pornea simply means one thing, any sex outside of marriage is sin. Any sex outside of marriage, you just crossed over the line, it is not God's will for your life. Any sex at all. So rather than engaging in this kind of sexual immorality, Paul says, here's what God wants for you. He wants you to be sanctified. That's a big biblical word. We don't use it much anymore. Many Christians don't even know what it means, but it really is a simple concept. That word sanctified means to be set apart, okay? So if, if for example, um, well, I don't know why this is coming to my mind, but let's talk about University of Georgia for just a moment. <laughs> so I have a championship ring in my trophy case, I, an actual championship ring. I, a dear friend of mine was able to get me one, so I've got a championship ring, okay? Of all the things in my trophy case, that's set aside. That's in a prominent place where if you come out, you're going to see that. You may not see anything else. You're going to see that ring, okay? So I had somebody ask me the other day, if your house were burning down today, what would? I saw, there's a ring. There's a ring. I'm, I'm going to get the ring, okay? So it means to be set aside, to be set apart. Here's what that means. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, God says, now you've got to take your body and you've got to set it apart. You don't get to use your body any way you want to anymore because it's not your body. It's my body. You've got to set my body apart because it's mine. It doesn't belong to you. You've got to set your body apart. So that means once you give your life to Jesus, you can't do with your body whatever you want to do with your body, wherever you want to do it with your body, whenever you want to do it with your body, with whomever you want to do it with. No, it is set apart. So in other words, from the time you're born, it is the will of God for you to take your body and save your body for the only person that deserves your body, and that is the person that you marry. That is the will of God for your life. Now, if you may decide, well, I'm not going to do that. I, I'm sorry, I just, I can't, unrealistic. In fact, I'm already breaking that law to begin with. I'm just letting you know, you just had a head-on collision with the will of God for your life. Because Paul makes that very plain. That is not God's will for you to do. And yeah, you can hear those collisions going on all over the church, all in the church. I've told you this before. 
The vast majority of couples that come to me that want to get married, when I ask them, are you sleeping together, the vast majority will drop their heads, not all, but the vast majority drop their heads because they don't even have to say a word. And then I have to explain to them why. Look, I can't perform your wedding unless you stop doing that because I can't ask God to bless you after you're married if you're not going to obey God before you're married. But it's just where it is. In the, listen to this. In the last 50 years, the percentage of men and women who cohabit before marriage in the last 50 years has gone up 900%. 70% of women ages 30 to 34 have cohabited with a male partner. Two-thirds of new marriages, listen to this, two-thirds of new marriages take place between couples who've already lived together for an average of 31 months. So even though evangelical Christians, the good news is, are less likely than most Americans to have premarital sex, a Pew Research survey in 2019 found 58% of white evangelicals, 70% of black Protestants believe cohabiting is acceptable if a couple plans on getting married. So in other words, it's just like, go back to the illustration we used about, about Pratt and Schwarzenegger. Hey, they're engaged, they're going to get married, not a big deal, it's okay. By the way, in the younger generation, 43%, listen to this, 43% of kids who call themselves evangelical Christians, young people, ages 15 to 22, 43% say, is they definitely or probably will live together in the future. Only 24% said they would not. Two-thirds uh, two of those aged 29 to 49 had already lived together at least once, and 53% of evangelical Christians in their first marriage lived together before they got married. If you take a survey across the country, only 14% of Americans say it is unacceptable for a couple to live together before they get married. So in other words, I already know that 86% of the country at large thinks I'm up a tree. They think I've got roofs to rent upstairs unfurnished. They think, man, you've lost your mind. This is just not realistic. It is just not right. So when it comes to sexual purity, the only thing I'm simply saying is this. You got to make the same decision Jesus made when he, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. So when it comes to sexual purity, you're going to say one of two things. Not my will, but yours be done, or not your will, but mine be done. You're going to say one of two things. You cannot be in the will of God and be sexually impure at the same time. So you have to make a choice. And God's will is for God's children to follow God's way by avoiding sexual immorality. By the way, that word avoid doesn't mean be discreet. It doesn't mean practice safe sex. It doesn't mean love the one you're with. It means no sex outside a marriage. That's God's will. God's will Sexual purity is God's will for us. Second thing, sexual purity is God's work in us. It's God's work in us. See, sexual purity is not just something you live. It's something you learn. And God wants to teach you how to do it. So Paul goes on to say this, that each of you should learn to control your body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. So Paul says, look, you're going to do one of two things with your body. You're going to give it over to passionate lust, 
Are you going to give it over to perfect love? Now you say, well, what is the difference? Here's the difference. Lust wants to take what it shouldn't from somebody else. Love wants to give what it should to someone else. Lust wants to take, love seeks to give, what, or lust seeks to, seeks to take what it shouldn't. Love wants to give. Lust, love, lust wants to use another person. Love wants to bless another person. Love is desiring what you want for yourself. Love is desiring what God wants for the other person. So love is saying no to sexual purity, where love is saying no to sexual immorality. So just mark this down and write it in your heart. If it's before marriage or it's outside of marriage, you can call it love if you want to. God calls it lust. God says you can call it whatever you want, but it's not love. Because when you engage in passionate lust, God's word is plain. He said, you know what? When you do that, he said, you're acting just like a pagan. You're acting just like an, that's how unbelievers act. That's what an unbeliever does. Now, I realize right now I'm talking to people maybe in this room or you're listening to me right now and you're already engaging in sex out of marriage and you're going to keep on doing it or maybe you're not doing it yet, but you still plan on doing it, okay? If you do, just keep this next verse in mind. He says, and that in this matter, no one should wrong, keep that word in mind, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. See, when you decide, no, not your will, I'm going to do my will. I'm going to do it my way. It's my body. I'll do with it whatever I choose to do. If, that, if that's what you decide to do, you just hit the trifecta of sin. First of all, you sin against God because you, you, you went against his will for your life. Then you sinned against yourself because you just misused your body because it's not your body. And then you sinned against the other person because you wrongfully used their body. By the way, that word for wrong, it literally means to cross a boundary, to go into forbidden territory, to trespass. In other words, when you engage in premarital sex, you just trespassed. You just trespassed God's law. You just crossed a boundary you should not cross. And that word to take advantage of means to take more than you deserve. So when my three boys were going up, I taught them a principle back when they were really, really young. I taught it over and over and over and over. I said, look guys, you can't do the wrong thing if you're not in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person. And every time you are, or you may be thinking about being with a member of the opposite sex that could be misconstrued or could bring temptation, you ought to always ask two questions. Number one, should I be here? And number two, should I go there? There were a lot of people that made fun and ridiculed Vice President Pence. When Vice President Pence said, look, I follow the Billy Graham rule. I'm just not with a woman alone. That's not my wife. And a lot of people laughed and made fun of it. Well, y'all can laugh at me. I follow that rule all of my ministry. I'm just not with a woman that's not my wife alone when I know I shouldn't be. And I realize some of you have a job, some of you work, you may have to take a female or meet for dinner and all that. I'm not prejudging anything like that. I'm just simply saying as much as possible, try to avoid any situation like that. By the way, the National Health and Social Life Council, listen to this, they completed the most extensive survey of American sex lives ever conducted. This is gonna shock you, it kind of surprised me. They found that sexually active singles, 
So you're a single, and you you play the field, and you're having casual sex, and you know sex on the first date, and hook up, shack up, all that kind of stuff. They say that's not what I'm. That's what they said. Sexually active singles have the most sexual problems and get the least pleasure out of sex. Married couples report the greatest happiness and most satisfaction in their sex lives. In fact, when you're committed to someone in marriage for over a period of years, your sex life actually gets better over time. How do you explain that? Because that's God's work. That's God's work in you. God wants to work in you sexual purity. He wants, you to, he wants to work in you in such a way that you learn how to control your body that, so it's holy and honorable because when you do that, here's what happens. Then down the road, you don't need to repent of anything. Down the road, you don't have any regrets. You don't have to apologize to anyone. I'm not, I'm not trying to make myself a hero. I'm not trying to, to get myself a pat, pat on the back. So you know me, know me better than that. But let me give you a practical illustration because I saw it in my, own, in my own life. It is refreshing to go to a high school reunion and know you don't have to blush when you see another girl. It is refreshing to go to a college reunion and know that you can meet any girl that you went to college with and know that you treated that girl the way that girl deserved to be treated. See, God knows what he's doing. It may seem good for the moment, but one day you'll be on the other side. One day you won't be 20, you won't be 25, but you'll be 50, 60, and 70. And what God is trying to do is to get you, teach you to help you to live such a life that you can look back with no regret. You can look back and not have to repent. You can look back and you can say, you know, unlike Sinatra, I didn't do it my way. I did it your way, and your way I found out is the best way. Sexual purity is God's will for you. Sexual purity is God's work in you. Now, here's the last thing we're done. Sexual purity is God's word to us. It's God's word to us. So there's two voices out there. Listen to culture, and you'll hear it loud. You'll hear it clear. You don't need a marriage license to fulfill your sexual desires. You can do it whenever you want to, with whomever is willing, wherever you can, and it is nobody's business. In fact, I don't even know why you care. How is my sex life affecting you? What is the big deal? What is the problem? That's what culture says. But this is what Scripture says. For God did not call us to be impure. You do understand, those of us who are followers of Jesus, you do understand that when God saved you, God called you. Every, every salvation has a calling, not just a vocational calling, a relational calling, a spiritual calling, a personal calling. God called every one of us to the same thing. God called us to a, live a holy life. He said, therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So I want you to understand something. You can walk out of here today and you can come up to me and look me right in the eye and say, I am not, I, what you said is a bunch of junk. What you said is unrealistic. What you said is just, it's so anachronistic. It is so out of date. I'll sleep with who I want to, whenever I want to, wherever I want to, and it's none of your business. Trust me on this. Read my lips. It will not cause me, I'll, I'll have to take a baby aspirin to go to sleep tonight. It won't affect me one bit because you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting him. 
I'm just the messenger boy. He said, you reject the very God who gave you his Holy Spirit. So here is the question. For those of you who are single, for those of you who are not married, for those of you who are still in the dating world, here's a simple question. Who are you going to listen to? What's going to make the call in your life? You're going to let Hollywood make the call? You're going to let the fraternity and sorority make the call? You're going to let culture make the call? Are you going to let Scripture make the call? Because the culture will not even stutter. The culture will call you to sexual immorality. God will call you to sexual purity. And all I'm saying is this. If you are a follower of Jesus and you reject what I'm telling you, you are not rejecting me. Not going to hurt my feelings one bit. In fact, I feel sorry for you. You're rejecting the God who you say has given you his Holy Spirit. So to help you kind of make that decision, let me just kind of wrap up by clarifying a couple of things, you know, from before that I said. Satan always wants what is worse for you. God always wants what is best for you. And the old saying really is true when it comes to sexual immorality. You may get what you want, but in the end, you will not want what you got. How do I know that? More than 55% of sexually experienced 15 to 19-year-olds wish they had waited to have sex. Did you hear that? More than 55% of those 15 to 19 years old said they wish they had waited to have sex. For 12 to 14-year-olds, listen to this, 12 to 14-year-olds, 81% said they wish they'd waited to have sex. And by the way, just for the record, for all you young women out there, if you live together with a man before you get married, the odds of you getting a divorce are 33% higher than if you don't. So just kind of keep that in mind. And by the way, let's forget the guy, let's forget the girl for just a moment. What about the children who are conceived in a cohabiting situation? Well, what about the children who are born in a home where mom and dad are not married? Let's, let's think about the well-being of children. Because what we now know is that a cohabiting union more closely resembles, resembles single motherhood than it does marriage. Because in a 2013 report for the National Marriage Project, scholars found, listen to this, Cohabitation is not the functional equivalent of marriage. It is the largely unrecognized threat to the quality and stability of children's lives today. Where'd they get that idea? Because according to that report, children of cohabiting parents in their 20s are three times more likely to experience the dissolution of their family than children born to married parents. In other words, Take a child that's born to two people who are married in their 20s. Take a child who is married to two people in their 20s or who, who are born to, to a couple who are not. This child, you just increased his chance of growing up in a broken home threefold. He is three times more likely to watch these people leave, split, leave each separate than he is if it's in a marriage situation. As a matter of fact, nearly half of parents Nearly half of parents who are cohabiting at the time of their child's birth break up within five years compared to only 20% of married parents. 
In other words, here's the cold hard truth about cohabitation. Here's the cold hard truth about living together. Here's the cold hard truth about hooking up and shacking up. The cold hard truth is if you do that, you're not only less likely to marry, you're more likely to get a divorce if you do marry. So let me just kind of close by addressing two groups of people. You're a single person. And by the grace of God, you have, or maybe you are now, abstaining from sexual immorality. You have, or you now are. I just want to encourage you, because I'm a satisfied customer. Do everything you can with God's help to stay that way. Because you're not just doing, listen, you're not just doing what God wants you to do. It's better than that. You're doing what's best for you. Because remember, God always wants what's best. You will not find in the Bible where God wants what's good for us. He wants what's best for us. God's not a good God. He's the best God. He wants what is best. But wait a minute. Maybe you're a single person. Or you're a married person. And you feel guilty because you messed up. You blew it. Well, here's what I want to say to you. <laughs> this is why I love being a preacher. The central message of the Bible is the gospel. And the gospel is all about the grace of God. And the grace of God is wider than, and deeper than the biggest ocean in the world. And if you have lived together, if you've had sex before marriage, you've not committed the unpardonable sin. God will forgive you. God loves you much today as the day you were born. God loves you just as much if you have done it as if he did if you had not done it. And forgiveness is available to all of us no matter what we've done. All you've got to do is very simply confess your sin, repent, turn away from it, and you will be instantly forgiven. Now, I know for some of you, it took a lot of guts for you to walk into this room because you're living together maybe. Or it took a kind of a little, little bit for you to kind of tune in. You knew what I was going to talk about, but you're living together. And I know the message has been tough. I get it. I understand. And my whole goal in this whole series is, is this, and I hope you'll pray to this end. If you expect in these messages that I'm going to come out flamethrowing and, 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 and throwing judgmental rocks, that's not what I'm going to do. That's not my job. That's not what God's called me to do. It's one thing to call sin, sin. That's okay. But I don't dwell on the sin. I dwell on the Savior. I don't dwell on the fault. I dwell on forgiveness. I don't dwell on the guilt. I dwell on the grace. And so I just want to say, I know it's been tough, but I, I, one pastor said it best, and, and he told the truth. He said this, I keep coming back to sexuality because, number one, I think it is the primary test of our generation's fidelity to the way of Jesus or to the world's ideas and ideologies. I agree with that. Number two, it is one of the most common New Testament examples of non Christian behavior. That's absolutely true. Number three, sexuality has always been an area where followers of Jesus stand in sharp contrast to the world. And I realize there was a time in the not too distant past when people would have thought, you know, that what I said was just old fashioned. That's, I can live with that. But today's a different day. Today, there are people out there that will say, what you said is dangerous. What you said is shameful. What you said is poisonous. What you said is harmful. What you said is so judgmental. Because who we sleep with is now seen as a supreme right of every human being. Every person has the right, if they want to, to do what they want to do, with whom they want to do it, wherever they want to do it, 
whatever they do, if, if it's consensual and they get pleasure out of it, it is absolutely not your business. Well, I'll just say this. I agree with another guy I really like. His name's Sam Alberry. And Sam Alberry said this. God cares who we sleep with because he cares deeply about the people who are doing the sleeping. I want you to let that sink in. You know why God cares about who you sleep with? Because he cares about you. I'm not trying to make you think, boy, if you, you, know, if, if you, if you, if you engage in premarital sex, heaven falls apart. God breaks into a sweat. That's not true. It's not the sexual immorality he cares about as much as he cares about you. Sex was his idea, not ours. Misusing sex can cause profound hurt and damage. See, I'm a pastor. I've been doing this for four and a half decades. I've seen the expressway of life littered with wrecks on the side of the road of people who lost it, who people who had sex before marriage, about extramarital affairs. I've seen it. I've seen the tears. I've seen the results. I've seen kids messed up because of sexual immorality. I've seen it. I've lived it. I've been right in the middle of it. And that's why with the grace and the power of God, you should wed before you bed, and you will be glad that you did. So I'm going to close with this, and we're going to pray. You hear every time we come to church, Jesus died for our sins, and that is true. But I want you to hear this, because we forget this sometimes. Jesus didn't just die for your soul. He died for your body. As a matter of fact, let me tell you how important your body is. You think your body's not a big deal? Your body is so important. He's going to raise that body from the dead. You're going to live in this body, brand new, resurrected, eternal body forever. Yeah, the body's a big deal. And what we do with that body is a big deal. And the truth of the matter is... <laughs> God knows more about sex in his fingernail than Hollywood knows in their whole body. So, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. I have met couples, and I'll say this and be done. I've married couples, and they were brokenhearted that they didn't stay pure. They were brokenhearted because they crossed that boundary. God forgave them. God restored them. And I've done more than my share of couples who went in and got married, and they have lived happily ever after. But I will leave you with this. I have yet to marry a couple that did it God's way, stayed in God's will, experienced God's work, listened to God's word. I have yet to marry a couple that's ever come back to me and said, I wished we hadn't waited. Let's pray. His bowed, eyes closed. I want to talk to those of you who are listening right now online and you're in this room. I want you to forget about the subject for just a moment. Just forget about what I preached about. Let's deal with something deeper. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's the issue for me. Do you get that settled? Doesn't matter. You can live a perfectly pure life. You can... Stay a virgin till you get married. But if you die without Jesus, what does it matter? 
Or you can get married, hold it together, not get divorced and raise a family. But if you don't know Jesus at the end of the day, for you, what does it matter? So what we're talking about today is not sexual purity, really. What we're talking about is having a relationship with Jesus. He died for you. He died for your sins. He died for your body. And there's some of you here today, you've not only not given your body to Jesus, you've never given your heart to Jesus. You've never given your soul to Jesus. You've never given your life to Jesus. Why don't you do that today? Why don't you right now, listen to me right now, in this room right now, why don't you do this? Why don't you just say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe you are that Savior. I believe you died for my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe you're alive right now. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin right now. I turn away from who I used to be. I trust you as my Lord. I receive you as my Savior. I want you to come into my life. Forgive me. Cleanse me. And now, Lord, help me to live a holy, pure life. Because I know that's what's best for me. If you're watching right now, you're online, and you're watching this message, and you prayed with me to give your life to Christ, just go to this website, crosspointchurch.com slash next. crosspointchurch.com slash next. Would you do that? We'd like to hear from you. We'd like to know that God's Word has touched you. We'd like to know that your life has been eternally changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're in this room right now, and you say, I just prayed that prayer. I just asked Christ into my heart. I just gave my life to Jesus. Simple question. Did you mean it or is this something you said? No, sir. I meant it, okay? If you did, here's what I want you to do. When this service is over, you go out into the lobby. There's a table out there called Next Steps. Your next step is to go out to that table and just simply tell them, what you just said to me. Hey, I prayed today to give my life to Jesus. I, I gave my heart to the Lord. That's all you need to do. That's it. They know exactly what to do from that point on. They, we've got material we want to give you. We want to help you get started in your walk with God. There's some of you, you may say, well, I've, I've given my life to Jesus. Have you really? Have you been biblically baptized since then? No, I haven't done that. That's God's next step for you. That's the next step in living a holy life, being baptized. I'm going to ask you to go to that table and say, you know, I, I'm a believer, but I need to follow Christ in baptism. Or maybe you've been coming here for a while and you say, you know, this is the kind of church I need to be a part of. This is where I want to be. And I'm going to ask you to go out there and say, hey, we, I'd like to start the process of becoming a member of this church. Now, let's say that you're in that crowd and you'd say, man, this was tough because... I messed up, or I am even now messing up. You can stop it today. If you have messed up, you can get forgiven right now if you never asked for it. If you are in that situation, you can get out of it today. Yes, you can. You can stop today, and you can experience a new and a fresh, the peace of God, the grace of God. All you got to do is just say this. If, you've already, if you say, boy, I, I wish I hadn't, but I did, just tell God, Lord, you know what I've done. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Please cleanse me. He'll do it. Or you're in that situation, Lord, give me the power today. I'm stopping it. I'm going to do the right thing. Forgive me for what I've done. Help me to live that life for you. 
And Father, this is my prayer. I pray that I preach with grace and love and mercy and understanding. I know I've been where these, some of these kids and some of these teenagers and some of these college students and singles are. I've, I've lived those days and lived those years. And I know how hard it is. But I do know also by the grace and power of God, you can give us the strength to live holy lives. Not like unbelievers, but like true followers of Jesus. So thank you for your word. Thank you that you always want what is best for us. And God, may our kids and our grandkids always experience that best thing. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.